basketball is Hood. It's time for the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast with Jonathan Hood. You love basketball, you've come to the right place. What's up, everybody, and welcome into the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings. Use the promo code WMVP, especially for the divisional round playoffs for the NFL, for college basketball, for the NBA. Check it out. They are giving away an opportunity for you to win a $1 million top prize for the divisional round. Check it out. Download the DraftKings app or go to DraftKings.com. And use the promo code WMVP to play to be crowned a millionaire when you make your first deposit. Get in the action with this divisional round weekend only at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the NFL. And don't forget, if you're a basketball fan like I am, check it out for the NBA for college basketball as well. And as always, I appreciate you downloading the podcast. Tell people Jonathan Hood has a podcast talking about basketball. Could be college, could be pro. Could be the WNBA, could be high school basketball. You just never know. If you love basketball, indeed, the big voice guy was right. You come to the right place. Don't forget to check this podcast out on Spotify. That way you never miss an episode or on the ESPN Chicago app. Saying what's up to all of you listening on the Cap and J-Hood feed or the Under the Hood basketball feed on the ESPN Chicago app. As always, I just appreciate your support. We are following everything basketball on this one. We're going to hear from the great Deion Thomas getting his thoughts about the Illini and their loss against Purdue in college basketball. We'll get to the Bulls and their loss against Memphis on Dr. King Day and so much more. Let's get it going, though. So much to get to, so little time on the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast. Glad that you're with us here for Under the Hood as we talk about the Illini. Illini with a great game against Purdue. Fell short in Champaign. We talked to the color analyst for the final Illini. The great Deion Thomas joins me here on Under the Hood. Coach, as always, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, Jonathan, this is this is my pleasure, man. You do such a great job. You always represent so well. So it's truly my pleasure uh, to join you. And, of course, you know, I always love talking about my Illini. So, Works out perfectly for the both of us. <laughs> it really does, boy. That was a marquee game on Dr. King Day with Illinois against Purdue. What did you think of the ebb and flow of that one as that went into double overtime? Well, let, let me start off by saying this. I think that game yesterday proves that you're looking at the two best teams in the Big Ten. And they were, it was like a heavyweight boxing match, man. The two big fellas on the inside were going at it. The guards were great. I mean, this Purdue team is, as everyone knows, one of the best teams in the country. You know, Matt Painter does and has done a great job. I think it's been 16, 17 years that he's been coaching there. He does an amazing job, you know, in that Jane, Gene Cady tree. And, of course, Coach Underwood had the guys prepared. You know, we were missing Andre Carbello. He made his debut after a long time. So there were a lot of positives in that game last night, and, and I was loving every minute while sitting on the sideline broadcasting. Yeah, so as far as Corbello's concerned, good to see him back out there. Really the lightning rod for this Illini team. What's the difference between Corbello and Io at that spot? I'm sorry? The, the difference between Corbello and Io DeSumo. Oh, okay. 
Well, I mean, the biggest the biggest difference is, you know, Io is more of a natural scorer, and he's able to get his his get baskets in any way um, he can, and then makes other guys better off of that. And I think Andre Carbello is a better distributor, even though he can score, as he showed yesterday with coming off, you know, putting up twenty twenty two points. Um, in yesterday's game, he's very intuitive, which they're both very intuitive with the way they play. But I, I think Andre Carbello is probably even more uh, intuitive with what's going on on the floor. It's really weird because he sees things that I don't think others see. And he can do things, of course, that others can't do. So I was in a conversation yesterday and someone asked me, I mean, an uh, interview yesterday, and they was like, well, how does Danny Manning Prepare for Andre Carbello. And I told him, I have absolutely no idea because I don't think Andre Carbello knows what he's going to do. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he's just, he's in, the, he's in such the flow and the feel of the game that he takes what comes to him. Um, and when he, well, when he takes what comes to him, he's great. He's one of the best in the country. And sometimes he can get a little ahead of his skis, but. Yesterday, he played amazing after being out for so long and really only having two practices under his belt. You got to love a guy that's going to take tough shots, and Carbello's that guy, isn't he? Oh, he's definitely tough enough. I mean, it, it, there are a few guys. There may, there's a lot of guys that say they want to take the tough shot, and there's a few guys that are actually eager to take the last shot. And he's one of those guys. I mean, this kid plays with such intestinal fortitude that – you know, he, he, and at such a young person, he's only a sophomore, but yet he's taken it and he's been in that position for so long. And I think he's just been grown for it, man. This this kid wears it all on his shirt, and, and I love it. Coach, when you see the growth of Coburn, what what resonates with you most about his growth from the first time you see him to where you see him now? Well, it's like building a house. I mean, anytime your foundation is strong the rest of the house is going to be able to withstand almost anything. Kofi's feet have become so educated as compared to when he came in as a freshman. You know, as big and strong as he was, people couldn't understand why he could get pushed over, pushed off balance and things of that nature. And the work he did last year with Orlando, well, for the last couple of years with Orlando Antigua and with, um, with Coach Jeff Alexander, you can see now that base is strong. And when you have a strong base, then you can add the other things, which, you know, now he has a left hand, right hand jump hook around the basket, which, you know, some people may think is easy, but that takes a lot of work to develop that skill. And as you've seen this year, I mean, he had five total uh, assists last year. He's already up to about 15, so he's tripled his assist number. You know, where, what, uh, 13 games into the season, 14 uh -huh. games. So, and he's already tripled his assist uh, ratio over his over last year. So his ability to pass the ball really causes people at teams to play him honest because we have such great shooters. So I love his development. And as I told him, Jay Hood, I hope he stays another year to continue that growth and, and you know, hopefully catch my record as well. Coach, you can't have him there forever now. He can't be on this uh, Evan Eschmeyer plan. He can't be there for 10 years. Hey, Jay Hood, I didn't create COVID. <laughs> I didn't do it. Hell, <laughs> 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 but I say we might well benefit from it if we got it, you know. 
<laughs> you aspects of it. And, you know, so I'd love to have him come back for another year, man. And just think about it. He'd only be a fifth-year senior. Yes, I understand. I understand. I don't want him to leave either. He'd be a senior next year. You know, and that'd only be his fourth year, and then he still have his red shirt year. If I could keep them all five, I'd keep them all five. <laughs> I know you would, yes. <laughs> I tell you what, who really hit some big shots was Stefanovic. Edie was very good for Purdue as well. How, how far do you think that team can go? Because if you got a Stefanovic is going to hit that well from three, then that's that's I think that offense is sustainable. Well, no, no doubt. And they had other guys on the team that, you know, Illinois, let's say this. Illinois did a great job defending uh, Purdue. Most teams are not going to be able to defend um, Purdue the way Illinois did last night. And when you can have uh, Jaden Ivey who can go off, you got the big fellas, both of them inside, Travion Williams as well as um, Edie. To have Stavonovich be able to stretch the floor the way he does, and, you know, he can heat up in a heartbeat. I mean, he had, what, 6-7 yesterday. He can, do, he can do 10. He can make 10, 12, 15 threes because he has the green light to go it, to shoot it. The kid shoots it, lights out, such a quick release. You know, and that's why I say these teams are very similar. While at the same and that's why, these, in my opinion, these are the two best teams in the Big Ten. Where's Wisconsin with this, Coach, where Brad Davison, they beat Purdue themselves, uh, Wisconsin. So what do you think of that ball club? Oh, no, no. No, I'm not taking anything away from um, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. But when you, you look at Wisconsin, um, and with Brad, as you mentioned, Stevenson, and I can't remember, I don't know why I can't remember the other kid's name, who is really the pro, the pro uh, prospect on that team. They are really good. But they struggle on the interior. And I was surprised. I'm still surprised that they were able to pull it out on um, that win at Purdue against Purdue. Mm-hmm. But if, if we had to play more, uh, you know, which they're going to play again, and I, I can, I, I do not think Wisconsin will beat Purdue again. The thing you have to avoid doing is falling into playing Wisconsin basketball. Purdue wasn't able to speed them up um, because they want to kind of play that slower pace because they have the big guys as well, so they want to kind of play a little bit slower, and that plays right into the hands of Wisconsin. So, I mean, they're right there. Ohio State is right there. I think if you take those four and you clump those four teams together, uh, that's your your top four in the Big Ten, and then you can slide anyone else anywhere else you want. But those four teams stand out. But I'm still... Uh, I'm pulling the show on, on Purdue and on Illinois. So I looked at the Big Ten, and again, we got a long way to go still, Coach, but I see the Big Ten being about eight or nine deep in the tournament. Does that sound like a good number? Yes. And that's the thing when, you know, you hear people say, well, you know, which conference is the best and these things and that. You know, you may have more, you know, Big 12, you know, have a few Big 12 teams that are ranked. Some ACC, SEC teams that are ranked and maybe ranked higher than what the Big Ten is. But when you look at the depth of the Big Ten, that's why it's the best conference. So eight or nine does not surprise me. I mean, last year they were talking about ten. You know, so it's always in that, you know, six to nine area, which is the more, which is most than any conference is going to have. Now, 
what the Big Ten has to do is perform better when they get in there. Uh, but I think this year's teams are better than last year's teams. And I, and I said four, I, I got to make sure I put Michigan State in that, in that area too, because those top five teams are really good, even though they suffered a loss to Northwestern at home. Those five teams are, are really good, and I think they're going to be successful moving forward. I, got, I want to talk to you about basketball in general, especially on the NBA level. Here's what we're starting to discover, Coach. You know, basketball is more than just threes and layups. You actually can be able to get buckets, you know, in the paint. It's amazing, right? So this talk about DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Durant, even Trey Young to an extent too, are starting to get that mid-range game going, an area of the basketball uh, that you know very well because you made your money there, being able to get to the basket or be able to shoot the basketball from foul out extended. And so what do you think the, of the evolution of the game where, yes, threes are in vogue, but also people are just amazed at DeMar DeRozan. I go, he's just getting baskets. Isn't that the object of the game? Well, first of all, the, the people that said the mid-range shot and the post-game, the post, game, uh, the post game was dead and all of this, we, we have to recognize who started those uh, rumors. Those are people that probably never bounced a basketball a day in their life. Right. Let's be quite honest about it. You know, this came from the Billy Bean era where we wanted to crunch numbers and try to apply them to something that, is there a place for it? Yes, don't get me wrong. But can, for me to say, oh, that's the worst shot in basketball, or that's a terrible shot, these people are nuts. I mean, if we remember correctly, Michael Jordan, great mid-range game. Who's the greatest player ever? Uh, oh, okay, yeah. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, excellent post game. Who's the, most, the lead scorer in the history of the NBA? Yeah. And how about how about that other guy that wore number eight in, in the purple and gold? Mid-range game, outside game. Oh, yeah, I, I guess those people have never played the game or they just weren't good enough. <laughs> so that, that, that notion of... You know, the mid-range game and, and the post shot is, is nuts and was isn't good and isn't valuable in today's game. is crazy. I mean, the three best players, you know, let's say Kevin Durant's the best player in the world right now. Yes. His mid-range game is unstoppable. I mean, now granted, he's seven feet tall and, and no one's going to block that shot. So let's go down, as you mentioned, to DeRozan at 6'7", 6'8". No one can stop his mid-range game, not even the seven-footers. I mean, if you go down and you look at Booker, Chris Paul, I mean, there's a you go down the line and people that have perfected the mid-range game. And then now Chris Paul even posts up. LeBron James has found his way down to the post. Kevin Durant has always posted up. I mean, the post-game, mid-range games to me are the key. So do – does it have to be mixed in with threes? Yes, of course. The three-point game is is all is you know, it's a, it's a one of the keys to the game. Court will never go out of style, and that's what the best basketball players understand that I have to be able to score from all four levels. And the four levels, you got to be able to score from the three. You got to be able to put the ball on the floor and get to your mid range to the basket. And of course, once you go to the basket, people are going to foul you. You got to be able to make free throws. So if you can score from all four levels on the court, you are very easily going to be playing a lot of the, in those in a lot of those All Star games. And eventually, if you're playing in those All Star games, 
you're going to be wearing that uh, big old ring and the jacket and everything else that says you're a Hall of Famer. Okay. That's what the game is. Okay, Coach. So what you're telling me, Coach, is that you could actually score the ball without trying to attempt a three or a layup. Is that what you just told me? Is I think that's what you just told yes. me. <laughs> yes. Isn't this game easy? <laughs> <laughs> it just, well, I just, I, I just, I find that fascinating, right? It's like one of the the big general managers of the Houston uh, Rockets now with Philadelphia. It made, all he wanted was threes and layups, and there was no in between game. And it's like, well, that's great if you can prove that you could do that and win a championship. That's great. There was never a championship won with the Rockets, as you well know, with that philosophy. And not not even close. No. And and he will be out of another job if he continues to try to play that way. You can't. I mean, first of all, if I'm only going to settle for threes and driving and think. I'm cutting out a whole other aspects of the game. Not every player is going to be able to do those things. So now I'm limiting my ability to score. I'm limiting my opportunities to score. Who who does that? I mean, where does that thinking come from? It comes from the number crunchers that told you that tells you that the best shot on the floor is a three point shot from the corner. I I always learn. It's, it's worth three points. Why? Because it's a more difficult shot and it's further away from the basket. Yes. That's why you get three for it and not two. Uh, here's, a, here's another perfect example of why that, that's starting to fade out. Memphis, and I'm going to talk about this later on in the show, Memphis beat the Bulls. And the, and the Grizzlies are the second youngest team in the NBA, Coach. And they are one of the worst teams shooting the three. This is with John Morant. Why? Because they go to the basket, because they shoot the ball well, they get back and defend. They're great on the offensive glass. I think they're number one in the offensive glass, one of the top teams in rebounding. They go to the hole. Uh, they're the best in the fast break. I was watching John Morant yesterday against the Bulls, and I looked at the shot clock. He already was into the offense with 21 seconds left in the clock. I said, how did he get across there on a, on a miss in three seconds because he wanted to get the offense. He wants the buckets. He wants to get the offense moving. It's the little things more so than just the three that still matters in basketball to me. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, well, uh, playing. Yeah. We didn't, you know, at one point there was no three-point line. So no one considered standing out there at the three-point line or, or just jacking up shots. The art, the problem is that, I mean, not the problem. The art of this game is if I can get the ball off of the boards, and this is why John John B. McClendon started this fast break basketball when he did. Before this, it was get the ball off the glass, walk it up the court. Now I'm playing against a five-on-five set defense. There's no advantage in that. I don't care how good of movement or basketball player, I mean, basketball team have with movement. You can be the Golden State Warriors, who I love the way they play. Mm-hmm. I love their movement. I love the way they share the ball. I love the way they make the extra pass. Love it. They are so much better when they are in transition and you get a two-on-one or a three-on-two layup or John Morant and get the ball off the glass and go down and score in three or four seconds without having to play defense or, like you said, shoot a three-point shot. Uh, I think that's called good basketball, and that's why <laughs> you, you got it. This this 
Jay Hood, I mean, I was, I remember when I was at UIC, and one of the other assistant coaches and I used to go back and forth about this huge analytics guy. And I'm like, man, I was like, you know what? There's a place. I get it. There's a place. And it's really a place, and in, 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 I think, in my opinion, is figuring out what individual players do best and putting them in that position to be to do what they do best. I'm not going to have a three-point shooter, three, a guy that can't shoot threes, shoot threes. Just not going to have him do it. Even if they say that's the best shot on the floor, I'm not going to have him out there pumping up three-point shots. You can't. But if I can get him to pump fake and drive to the basket because he's really good at driving or he's really good at, you know, like last year with Io or like yesterday we saw with uh, Jaden Ivey getting the ball and pushing it and finishing at the rim, that's what I want him doing. Now that is, I can use analytics for that, but all that other stuff is nuts. And so I'm with you 100%. John, keep doing what he's doing. I love watching him. I love watching Memphis. You know, I hate they beat my Bulls yesterday, of course, but I will say this. My bio just played well. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, got to see my – gotta. I love what my Bulls are. I know Coach Donovan is going to get them back on track. Right now they're struggling a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, man, I love what Memphis is doing. I love their style of playing, like you said. They don't want they don't want to shoot a three unless they have to. Uh, and lastly, about Io, you, I know that – you're not surprised at how at ease Io is, and and willing to take on some of the best guards. You know, took on Steph on on um and against Golden State, took on Ja against Memphis. So you're not surprised at how at ease Io is, are you? Oh, uh, I lost you, Jay Hood. Yeah, I was gonna oh. say I say Io is is pretty much at ease playing in the NBA. You're not surprised, are you? Oh no, I'm not surprised at all. Um... After watching him in high school, and then after covering him the three years he was down in Champaign, there's no challenge that's too big for Io DeSumo. And the reason why that is, you know, let's start again. You heard me talk about the foundation. His parents are rock solid. His house is rock solid. He's never been taught anything but to strive to be the best, to always push, to always learn, and... You know that there's 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 growth in struggle. That's why he stayed at home in a struggling program with the University of Illinois and turned that thing around. So deservedly got his his number and jersey hung in the rafters a week and a half, two weeks ago. Not surprised that he's going to step on the court, or better yet, step in those on the practice court and learn from those guys that have been doing it in front of him. This is why he and DeRozan are so tight. I mean, before they even had the summer league, uh, DeRozan came out and made a comment about how he loves um, Io DeSumo and how he loves the fact that the kid comes out, he listens, he plays hard, and he pushes and, and all of those other things. So, no, I wasn't surprised at all because he had always had the ability. And everyone that passed up on him and the Bulls got him at 38, are, they're kicking themselves now. Because the so-called experts missed on it. And this is the same thing that a couple of my buddies are scouts now. And I remember talking to them before the draft and last season. Like, well, we don't know. We think he's at his ceiling. I'm like, dude, y'all nuts. You guys are crazy. <laughs> like, this kid is nowhere near as good as he's going to be. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, a perennial all-star or anything like that. 
but he is going to be a very coveted player. I got people call, well, do you think they're going to trade him? I think he's playing too good to trade him. I'm like, dude, they trade Kobe White before they trade Ayo Desumo. First of all, he's on a second, um, he's on a contract, you know, a, a second round draft pick contract. So even when they re-up him in his second one, it's not going to be for $70, $80 million. From a, just a GM standpoint, you'd be an idiot to trade him. And not to mention, he's scratching the surface at how good he's going to be. So, no, I'm not surprised at all, man. I love that kid. I love his work ethic. I would love his approach um, to the game and to life as a whole. Coach, I'm glad you spent some time with me. I'll tell you what, the Illinois-Purdue game was great. Looking forward to the game uh, against Maryland on Friday. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a good one. We just had those guys not too long ago. Uh, they, they thought they had a real good shot of winning it at home. So now we're going to be on their home court. And so, you know, Danny Manning's going to have them ready, man. They're going to come out there, going to scrap. And so, you know, fighting the line, they're going to have to stand up and be ready to fight. Defense has continued to just get better and better. But first, you see here Stephen Adams with the knockaway and then inch to in action. Nice finish. But here's Jaron, the smaller DeMar DeRozan. just overpowers him all the way to the front of the rim. No hesitation there by Jaron. Jaron being in foul trouble lately. The sumo lost the ball. Moran, Thomas in pursuit. Euro steps around him and scores. Sensational play by John Moran. Third quarters combined, 24 assists to just 11 turnovers. And how good is this from Tyus Jones? Ooh. Jones around Dosumu. Brown, a pass intended for Vucevic. John Conchar. Oh, look at this pass. Oh, Tied his season high at 10 in a home victory over Detroit. Morant weaving, spinning, oh, scoring, wow. and scoring. Oh, wow. 51 bench points, six players in double figures, 14 steals, 29 assists, and a 119-106 victory for Memphis over the Chicago Bulls on Dr. King Day. Woo! That was an ass whooping. And the Bulls have been getting it early and often as of late. But this is what happens when you are the Bulls and you're going through some growing pains as a basketball team. There is no Zach Levine. There is no uh, someone that could be able to help out along with DeMar DeRozan. Um, there's no Lonzo Ball. And so you're looking for Kobe White and Io DeSumo to pick up the slack. And that's very difficult in a couple of young players. Um, it's next man up, sure, but not against a good Memphis team. This Memphis team, as I just talked to Dion Thomas about just moments ago, they're first in a lot of categories, offensively, rebounding, do all the hustle things. It's a good, young, aggressive team that's going to make some noise in the playoffs. And the Bulls couldn't do anything with them. They couldn't do anything with Memphis. So let's take a look at what the Bulls have gone through, right? You're going to lose against Golden State because Golden State is a better basketball team, especially they're getting better with Clay and Steph, even though Clay didn't play. The point is, though, is that the Golden State, coming off of a beatdown against Milwaukee, comes to Chicago and they 
did that to the Bulls, beat them down, right? And so losing against Boston was a head-scratcher. Losing against the Brooklyn Nets, Nets have three Hall of Famers against the Bulls' three All-Stars, and that just never computes. And you say, well, well, they beat them before. Well, I mean, hopefully these two teams will play each other in the playoffs because that will be a great situation for the Bulls to learn, right? I'm not sure the Bulls can beat the Nets, uh, especially if they all are healthy with Durant, with Kyrie Irving, with James Harden. That's going to be very difficult with all three of those guys healthy and ready to go. Here's what I look at, and this is for any team in the NBA, especially the Bulls. I'm not tripping on the Bulls in a losing streak right now. What I'm looking at is for the Bulls to eventually get healthy. Here we are on January 18th, and what you want is for the team to be able to have some momentum starting in March, right? If everyone's healthy, March, April, right into the playoffs, then the Bulls are a top four, top five team in the East. There's no question about that, especially when they are all healthy. But when you don't have Zach Levine and it's DeMar DeRozan and Vukovic, let me get to him for a second. Vucevic, you know, I know that there are there's thoughts out there about Vucevic and wondering whether or not that he can really be a factor for the Bulls. Well, he already has been a factor for the Bulls. And I don't understand the disconnect that some have with Vucevic. I know that he can be a better player than what we saw, but he was fit to be tied against Memphis the other day. That did not work at all. And so I'm watching the game and I said, man, I mean, defensively, he was a sieve out there. And that has to be better. Seven points, 10 rebounds, three assists for Vucevic in 30 minutes of play. Uh-uh, that, that's just... That just won't do. Uh, Desumu, hats off to him. He had 15 points. He had 10 rebounds. He had six assists. Again, five steals. I mean, a solid game for someone that had to be pressed in the service to be able to play because of the left knee of Lonzo Ball being out uh, with his injury. But, man, this is, you know, when when you have McKinney and DeRozan, Vucevic, White, and Desumu as a starting five, it's decent, but it's not anything that is going to scare most teams because, there's only a couple of offensive, real offensive weapons on this team. I saw also, I saw Bradley being picked up, actually being picked up by Steven Adams. Steven Adams, like it, it, there was a skirmish there in the second half, and Tony Bradley and John Moranko get after it. And all of a sudden, here, did you see this? Did you see Steven Adams actually pick up? Tony Bradley picked him up off. The, I mean, they're both big guys. Picked him up off the ground. Bradley's legs dangling, and I'm like, okay, the Bulls really do need some size. <laughs> if Tony Bradley's just going to be picked up, literally by Stephen Adams like a little toddler, that's not good at all. But shout out to Memphis though. Whoop that trick is getting it done right. They don't shoot a lot from three, and so I, I talked to Dion about that. And, you know, ten for twenty five from three. They're not really necessarily trying to light up from three. Um, but what they do is they are able to get to the rim and they rebound a lot and they're going to the offensive glass and they pass the basketball. I just talked about how many assists they had, 29 assists. The Bulls had 24 in the contest. They rebound, out-rebounded the Bulls by five. Um, they were solid on the offensive glass. They get to the foul line, just little things. So it's a fun regular season team, this Grizzlies outfit. Some thoughts now from Billy Donovan. Not happy after the Bulls lose again, this time to Memphis, 119-106. to Recording in progress. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that we've got to um, – 
you know, it's almost like right as we rise up to shoot the ball, we have to go back. You know, we just don't have enough size to not be able to have to get back and get the floor balanced. Now, listen, some of some of some of them were hard because of the turnovers. Like it's hard when you have live ball turnovers and guys are spaced and the ball's turned over in the middle of the lane or it's getting getting like those are hard to get back on. Um, some of the other ones, you know, where we got cross matched a few times, those I think we can clean up and get better at. Um, but you know, for us right now, our, our margin for error is not great. So, you know, turnovers here, offensive rebound, a couple easy transition points. Like we're just going to, we have to eliminate those things. Um, you know, the, the easy baskets, because, because for us, it's going to be hard to generate easy baskets. And I think that's probably the best way is that they, they, they're a team that has generated a lot of easy baskets on offensive rebounds and transition points. And for us, we we're we're not in, we really don't generate a lot of that right now because of our size and the way we are. So we don't, we got to be really really meticulous and good, um, taking care of the ball, defensive rebounding, and getting back. Yeah, I mean, I think looking at the minutes with Demar and Pooch, you know, you want to. I don't want to put them in a situation where with the number of games that we're being played, where, you know, their minutes are in the high thirties, you know, I think you got to balance them. Plus the other thing too, is I think both those guys are, have been very, very efficient players. And um, I think if I asked them to play 30 to 30 of my minutes, they, they, they would do it. They'd have no problem with it. So I don't want to act like it was anything to do with them, but I also want to help them be efficient, you know, and there's a lot of those two guys played, especially from an offensive standpoint that, you know, the production of putting the ball in the basket, so, you know, I, I got DeMar off um, you know, a little bit later in that third and decided to let Vooch go the rest of the quarter. He played the whole quarter. Um, and then what I did is I started DeMar in the, in, in the fourth to try to stagger them. I thought about putting him back in. We were down by maybe 18 or 21 at that point. I think that's right around when that altercation broke out. There was technical fouls. They had scored it. Maybe went back up to 21 or 22 with five or six to go. And I just didn't think it made sense to put him back in because I was probably going to have to take DeMar back off the court to give him a little bit of a rest before throwing him back in. So it was just more reading the game, the situation, how much time and was it a game that we could realistically get back. And certainly wanted to give the guys every opportunity to do that, but I just didn't think that we were going to overcome 20-something points in, in five minutes or six minutes. When you talk about Kobe uh, and this opportunity, perhaps, what do you think of what Yeah, I, you know, I... Kobe just can't, um, you know, he, he didn't have a um, maybe a, a great scoring night in terms of the way he was putting the ball in the best. He got to the rim and he did some other things. But, you know, I think that this is an opportunity for him with our team the way it currently is, is he's going to have to be a guy that's going to do a lot of other things, like just besides, you know, making a shot. I think getting downhill, I think his decision-making downhill is going to be really important when to shoot, when to pass, maybe when to keep his dribble and bring it back out. Um, I think he's gotten a much, much better handle, maybe through his experience last year of what we're running on offense and what to call and how to get us in and out of this stuff. Um, but I think when there's a lot uh, on his plate with the ball in his hands, and he's not shooting the ball, but he's making aggressive decisions to get downhill from that point, we got to get him to – to really, really make good reads of, like I said, when to shoot it in the paint, when to keep his dribble, when, when to get it out there. But, I mean, I think he always plays hard and competes and, you know, always tries to do things to help the group win. Harden gave him the basketball a tough spot, kind of under the basket. And Jared just hammered it against the back of the Garland has not, has a 
irritated early. Well, coming off those picks, is they going to back up? This young man can fill it up. Garland pokes it away from behind. Love launches one. Garland over the shoulder. Drops to a Moro. Oh, my. <laughs> Garland working on Edwards. Garland, a myriad of moves. Oh, my. Yep. Too far out. Garland inside nice. to Love. Perfect. Love bobbles. Love grabs it. Love scores. And that's what you have to have. In the opposition's backcourt and created a turnover. Saw it during the road trip twice. Garland works inside. Brown off one leg. Darius Garland has tied this game. Cavs basketball with a three-point lead. That was good defensive effort that time. Oh, yes. Love it. The Cavs will be the next opponent for the Chicago Bulls, as you heard their highlights there, as Cleveland defeated the Brooklyn Nets 114-107. 114-107, the Cavs beat the Nets, and this is a Nets team now without Kevin Durant. Uh, out with that MCL, out with an injury, that is tough for the Nets. But once again, we talk about trying to get healthy by the time you get around to March Madness or into April, you just want to have all hands on deck. And so now it's going to be the James Harden show, specifically because James Harden's going to play as many games as possible, and Kyrie only plays games on the road. So five wins in a row for Cleveland. That's what the Bulls have to deal with, with marketing and with Darius Garland. You heard a lot of highlights there from Garland and Kevin Love coming off the bench with 14 points. Allen, uh, Okoro, they have a number of really good players. This Cleveland team is one of the great stories in the NBA. Memphis, I think, in the West, but in the East, I think Cleveland's a great story. You know, people say, like, the Bulls are a great story. Like, I expected the Bulls to be in the playoffs. I did not expect Cleveland to be 27-18 and 18 as we record this here uh, on Tuesday morning. So I'm, I was actually pretty surprised at how well the Cavs have played. And so this is what you got to deal with. Now, oh, speaking of the Nets, so we saw what it looks like when all three are on the floor at the same time. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, James Harden. Harden, play, by the way, played 20, let's see, played 40 minutes, 22 points, 10 assists in the loss against the Cavs. But what about Kyrie? Kyrie, again, doubling down, tripling down, that he's only going to play road games because he does not believe in taking the COVID-19 vaccine. Doesn't want to take it. He talked to the press about it. Oh, this exchange with Nick Friedel. Spicy. Do you think there's anything to sway your decision? What do you mean? To get this job. Why, why do you keep asking me that? Because that's what everybody wants to know. Who's everybody? Uh, there are millions of basketball fans out there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, we want to know if you're going to take the ISK to play at home. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Basketball fans, they're like they're they're forget basketball fans. They're millions. Yeah, but this is like that's what I'm saying. You're bringing like my vaccination status into a basketball game, and it's like I live my life majority of the time when I'm away from this. So when I say I'm not getting vaccinated, I'm making a choice with my life. Somehow it gets. Like mixed into well, what about basketball stuff? It's like no, bro. Like we live in a real world. This is this is great to be able to do this. I'm grateful for the opportunity. I love being with my teammates. I love playing on the Nets. But I've already been away enough time to think about this, to process it, to be able to make this decision, stand strong, understand that people are going to agree and some people are going to disagree. The circumstances that are at hand, I'm praying that they get changed and we're able to do things differently. And that's not just for me. 
that's for all those that are dealing with unvaccinated, being unvaccinated and getting fired from work on a day to day basis. It's not just about me. That's what I, that's my been my message this whole time. So though I feel your your feeling and emotion asking that question, it's just like sometimes it gets it feels a little disrespectful. Like I'm not just a basketball player, bro. I'm not. Millions of fans, I, I appreciate all of it, but it's not just about the game. But you're one of the most famous unvaccinated people <laughs> in the country. You that know, sounds that crazy to me. But that's that's the reality, though. You are one of the most famous people in the country. Most high but I'm not the only one. Fashion. No, you're not. I'm just saying. That's what I'm saying. Fame is socially creative, bro. I'm not. I, I hear what you're saying, but I got to go to Grady's question. Like being the most famous unvaccinated player, what does that even mean? Well, I don't even know what that means in my life. Play at home. I think that's why there's so much frustration. I respect that, bro. I respect yeah, that. Ah, oh, spicy Friedel mixing it up with Kyrie Irving. You know what Nick has said that he's one of the most famous non-vaccinated people in the world. Let me think about that. Well, as far as we know, I mean, there is Aaron Rodgers. I guess you could throw him in there from the Green Bay Packers and Kyrie Irving. I mean, that's that's the thing I think about. I mean, Bradley Beal is part of that as well with Washington Wizards. There's a number of players across the sports landscape that are unvaccinated, but I will still stay true to my word and my opinion that Kyrie Irving or whomever, if you don't feel like you should be vaccinated, if you feel like it's not for you, no one should force you to take it. You don't want to take it, that's fine. But I also will say this, and I've said this for over a year too. There's always consequences for your actions. And if you think that you can live a life that is consequences free, um, then I got a bridge I could sell you on a very, very short pier. The idea that you could just live life and there won't be any consequences is just nonsense. And the consequences that the Nets have to face is that Kyrie Irving says he's not going to get vaccinated. And the mandates in New York say that you have to be able to be vaccinated in order to be able to play at Barclays or play uh, against the Knicks at Madison Square Garden in the whole state of New York. So from Kyrie's standpoint, he's thinking that maybe things will change by the time we get to April, get into the spring months, that that won't be that this will be lifted. And maybe it will, maybe it won't. But just understand that Kyrie Irving, even though he's paid as a full-time player, he's only getting paid, he's only playing half the time. Uh, getting paid full-time, but only playing half the time. Not because of injury, but because of the mandate that's happening where he can't play in front of his home team of Brooklyn. And so he doubled and tripled down, like, no, I'm not going to take the vaccine. That's cool. But there's circumstances um, and consequences to your actions. And so Kyrie feels, I'm not going to take the vaccine. Uh, who am I to tell him that he needs to take it? But just know that now that Durant's out, it's going to be hard on everyone else and they have to be able to carry the load as much as they can without Kyrie on a full-time basis. Just for a refresher, in New York, if you are going around unvaccinated and in one of these areas, it'll be a warning. The first offense, the second offense is a $1,000 fine. Third offense is a $2,000 fine. The fourth offense is a $5,000 fine. The fifth offense to infinity offenses are $5,000 fines. So Kyrie Irving could be available in its home games if Brooklyn is willing to pay, quote unquote, a small fine for every time that Kyrie plays in the state of New York, especially in Brooklyn at home uh, for the Nets. 
Now, if you're willing to pay the fine, let him play. And hopefully that he doesn't get anyone sick. And hopefully no one gets him sick uh, with COVID-19. Hey, don't forget... The Under the Hood Basketball Podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. Use the promo code WMVP. And let me tell you about the merchandise. Have you heard about the merchandise? Yes. Go to my link tree. It's on my Instagram. It's on my Facebook. It's on my Twitter. Go to my bio and each one of those social media platforms. Instagram, IGJHood. Twitter.com, TweetJHood. Facebook.com, look for the podcast page. And you can get the merchandise. Yes, Under the Hood with John the Hood merchandise. It represents this basketball podcast. Whether it's t-shirts, whether it's mugs, whether it's tumblers, whether it's sweatshirts, hoodies, it's all there. Check it out. The Under the Hood merchandise store. It's in my bio on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Check it out. The Under the Hood merchandise. It's all there for you. Check it out. It's a great Valentine's Day gift for someone. I think. Check it out. The Under the Hood merchandise. Let's get do some news and notes around the NBA. All right, let's take a look at the news and notes around the NBA. How about the Lakers? And by the way, Monday was so glorious. Dr. King Day had my feet up watching NBA all day. It was so much fun. I love Dr. King Day because I get wall-to-wall NBA from... Oh, it's 11 o'clock in the morning all the way to the end of the Laker and Jazz game. The Lakers beat the Jazz 101-95. LeBron James, he's still that dude, 25 points, 7 assists, 7 rebounds. Isaiah Thomas was on NBA radio, and he was talking about Russell Westbrook, right? And so this whole Laker thing stems from when, when Anthony Davis will return, Chicago's own, right? Russell Westbrook uh, was playing with... Um, a reckless abandon, man. He was doing anything he could to try to help the Lakers win. He did help them win against the Jazz. Isaiah Thomas talking about uh, the importance of Westbrook. He says it's not just a Westbrook street. It's an organization and coaching street as well. I don't know if it's all on Westbrook, Eddie, or hmm. – and this is where coaching comes in. Hmm. I mean, when, when, the, when the athlete is, is struggling and when the player is struggling mentally and having these type of difficulties – Okay, this is where you depend on your coach, and your coach comes in and, and, and help you through these difficult times, these difficult moments, and and and, and it's a two it's a two way street. It's just not a Westbrook street. It's a it's an organization and a coaching street also, where you know you you're my coach when when I'm playing well and everything's going good. But when it's going bad, that's when I need my coach. It's like I told Chuck Daly one time, uh, we were playing against Cleveland, and Mark Price was having his way with me. I mean, he was killing me, Eddie, right? And we came to the timeout, and he said, you know, you know, he, he's killing you. He's killing you. And, and I said, yeah, I'm going to get it together. Well, came right back out. Mark dropped another three. Came back to the bench on the next timeout. He said, Zeke, he's killing you. You got to do something. I say, hey, look, let me tell you something. I know he's killing me, 
the 20,000 people in this building know he's killing me. My teammates know he's killing me. But, damn it, can you tell me something that's going to help me, that's going to stop this guy from killing me? Because right. if you're just telling me he's killing me, then you're not helping me, Coach. He liked everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Well. So, so what Westbrook is saying, can, can somebody help me get out of this? It just can't be up to Westbrook to get out of it himself. Isaiah Thomas, Chicago's own the Hall of Famer, saying, hey, it's got to be on coaching. Frank Vogel, do you think that Russell Westbrook would listen to Frank Vogel? Right. I didn't think so either. <laughs> you know, your silence told me everything I need to know. You listening to the podcast. I gave you just a couple of seconds to think about it. Do you think that Russell Westbrook will actually listen to Frank Vogel? And not this is no shot at Frank Vogel. It's just how headstrong, how aggressive, how great Russell Westbrook is. No matter what you think about him now, you know he's a great player. So he's not the polished player as far as being able to help a team day in and day out. I think that he can still give you a triple-double here and there, but as far as the shooting from the outside, it's just not there, right? And so Westbrook has to be the guy to help out LeBron along with others to try to help this cause while Anthony Davis is out. Another great story in the NBA uh, is the return of Clay Thompson, and I'm happy for Clay because when you're out with two serious injuries and you're the heartbeat of the Golden State Warriors, if I talked to Nick Friel about this um, in our previous episode. You can go to the archives and check out what Nick had to say about what uh, Clay Thompson means to the league and what he means to the Bay Area. Um, Mark Jackson, his former coach, was on NBA radio talking about the one thing that he really liked about Clay Thompson, not just offense, but also great defensively. The only thing I look at and say is, you know, he, he was he's an elite defender and he was the defensive stopper for Team USA uh, when he was healthy and whole. The, 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 the thing I look at is the time it'll take to get back to that level. Um, that's the only concern. He's going to shoot at, at an extremely high clip the way he always does and make shots. and He's going to be elite as, that, as far as that's concerned. He's going to be a, a good defender. But I think that the next jump is he was a great, great defender. Uh, getting back to that uh, brings him back to who he truly is. So thoughts there from ABC ESPN's Mark Jackson, color analyst, and his former coach with the Golden State Warriors. I like what he said there. It's about the defense, right? And so I, I really like what I, I heard there. And so just some interesting things around the league. Uh, oh, and speaking of some of the things around the league, how about this? How about some thoughts here um, from Antonio Daniels? was talking about John Morant just the other day, right, and how good he, he really is. There's a number of people talking about how good he really is and how good the Grizzlies are. I mentioned before, watching that team, I was very impressed. And it seems like I've seen, I think I've seen the Grizzlies at least in their last four games. It just keeps popping up on my NBA package where I've seen bits and pieces of the Grizzlies, maybe a half, maybe three quarters. I watched the entire Bulls-Grizzlies game because I know how good they are. Are they for real? Is Grind City for real? Antonio Daniels answered that question. Color analyst for the New Orleans, color analyst from the New Orleans Pelicans talked about it. Are we sleeping on the Grizzlies as an NBA contender? It's weird because when we think of the top teams in the league, teams that check a lot of the boxes, how do we not talk about Memphis? Becomes a question. Phoenix is a contender. Golden State's a contender, right? Utah's a contender. 
How do we not talk about Memphis in that same conversation with those teams when they have shown the ability to play with those teams? And lastly, Miles Turner from the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers still trying to figure out who they are. Are they going to rebuild? Will they retool? Miles Turner, a big guy that any team could use. He's got a CT scan going. He's got a bone bruise that's going to put him out past the trade deadline. So no one's going after Miles Turner, but that was the name that you heard a lot of. Like, what if the Bulls got themselves a big guy like Miles Turner? Well, he's going to be out past the trade deadline, so that's out. And uh, Alex Caruso is supposed to play Wednesday against Cleveland, so his return will be there. And the Bulls have just traded water without him. I mean, he's been when he's in the lineup or when he's playing, the Bulls are way over 500, but not with him out. He's I think they're barely trickling over 500, about 9, 10 wins without him. So we'll keep our eyes on Caruso's return, possibly against the Cleveland Cavaliers for the Bulls. Don't forget the Under the Hood basketball merch is available. Check it out. If you follow me on Twitter, Twitter.com, Tweet J Hood, Instagram, IG J Hood. On Facebook, you know where to find it right there uh, in my bio. And don't forget, our podcast is proudly brought to you by DraftKings. It's so good to talk basketball. Good to have Deion Thomas on talking about the Big Ten. Just basketball philosophy, talking about the Illini. Hey, it's basketball talk, so you never know who's going to come on. I know coming up soon, we're going to have... Bulls against Cleveland, and then from there we'll look at the Bulls against the champs, the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm gonna have our guy Travis Wacker on. See if I can find him. We'll talk about the Bucks, and of course all the news that you need from around basketball. And I've got an announcement: some high school hoops. Your boy's gonna be doing pretty soon here, but it's not just your run the mill high school hoops. No, this is gonna be some marquee stuff I got for you. So I'll tell you about that uh, coming up here on the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast. And don't forget. If you love basketball, you come to the right place. Basketball is hood. Thanks so much for downloading the podcast. Talk to you soon.